two guys from Milwaukee. Here we go again. It's those two guys from Milwaukee. Welcome to Low Orbits, the podcast mini-sode in which two writers watch some TV. Hi, this is Patrick Baird. I'm Steve Reitze. Welcome to another episode of Low Orbits, our look back at our favorite, or sometimes not favorite, episodes of television from the golden age of science fiction. Tonight, we're going to be talking about a Star Trek original series episode, Mud's Women. This is from the first season. In fact, it was the second episode filmed after they filmed the two pilots for the show. After you told me that, a lot made sense. Right, because one of the things about this show that's interesting for a Star Trek fan is a lot of things aren't quite right in this show. Lieutenant Uhura is not wearing a red uniform. She's wearing a yellow uniform like Captain Kirk. The technical jargon is kind of goofy. You know, they're talking about burning up their dilithium crystals and they're running out of dilithium crystals. And if they don't get a dilithium crystal by X amount of time, they're going to be out of power and they have to run on batteries. Like, when did we have batteries on the Enterprise? Yeah, and given that it's space travel, what kind of battery capacity would you need? Right. So I don't recall any other episode of the original series where they even mentioned the idea that they had batteries on the ship. And they did have a couple submarine analog stories yes. as well. Right. The one where they discovered the Romulans for the first time, that was pretty much a direct ripoff of The Enemy Below, famous submarine movie. So it was a little bit of an odd episode because of all of those things. Yeah. And you said something about Spock earlier. He had sort of a whimsical attitude at times during the show. It was an uneven performance from him. Like they hadn't quite exactly figured out, you know, that he was this emotionless character that would be painful for him to express even the slightest bit of emotion. The ship was behaving in a different way, like they were policemen. That this craft, Mud's craft, was an unauthorized ship going through the quadrant. Right. And he didn't have his ship's license. Right. And that was not the sort of thing they were concerned with later in the series. Yeah, I could almost let that one slide if that was the only oddity in the show. But there were just so many things that just felt off on this particular episode. But not to say that that made it a bad episode. In fact, I don't think it was a bad episode. Workmanlike? Yeah, probably. There's a lot of people who like Mud's Women. Now, just to clarify, because there were two episodes featuring Harry Mud, Harcourt Fenton Mud, to be specific. And the one that maybe people are more familiar with is iMud, where he's on a planet and he has all these robots that are serving him, including beautiful female robots. Yeah. And the end of that is the Enterprise turns them all into his ex-wife or something like that yeah, to punish him. Yes, right. But this is the one where he's fleeing in a ship and the ship is about to blow up and they transport him and three beautiful women on board the ship just in the nick of time before the ship blows up. And these three women have this strange quality of enticing and enchanting men. And there was kind of a 1950s sort of all the men are helpless before their sexuality. Staring at us like we were Saturnius harem girls or something. Except for Captain Kirk, who's in love with his ship. And presumably Sulu. Right. Well, he put up a good front. He was pretending like he was being enchanted. Because that's canon now. It is, apparently. So anyway, 
It turns out that Mud is taking these women or wants to take these women to a, a planet full of miners and offer them for a fee to be wives. Let's get right to business. Their destiny is to go to this mining planet. Then there's these lonely miners that have been there for years without any women or companionship. And they're going to reward Harry Mudd for bringing them wives. Which is based on a historical reality with the Old West. They used to recruit women with newspaper ads saying, come out to the West and marry a guy. Yeah, there's plenty of husbands out here for you, ladies. And it was also the basis of more than one old western movie that i can remember there's one called westward the women where it was like a wagon train full of women and i think some of them were quote-unquote body women that were being transported across the plains you mean you mean harlots harlots well i wasn't going to use that harsh term because they wouldn't have used that word back in 1954 or whenever it was this movie was made but yeah there was a bunch of movies based on that idea. So yeah, it was a real thing. And of course, anybody who's a big Star Trek fan realizes that Gene Roddenberry pitched Star Trek to the networks as wagon train to the stars. So it was basically taking the formula from the wagon train TV show where the wagon train would stop at a different place every week and meet new characters and have dramas and adventures and and so forth based around those new characters that they ran into. And then they would move on and they'd be somewhere else next week. And something that was new to me was in Roddenberry's initial pitch, he gave a list of potential episode plots, just one sentence things. And about, from what I read, about two thirds of them ended up being made. Mm, That's interesting. So the twist in the show is that these women are actually very plain looking women who are taking something called the Venus drug. Venus drug? I've heard of it, but it's not just one of those stories. Which not only makes them look beautiful, but puts out some sort of a pheromone or something that entices men. So at the end of the show, the effects of the drug wear off and the women go back to being homely. And the horny miners are like, eh, good, good enough. You know, you're fine, you know. You have to end it that way. They <laughs> they have to marry the women for their actual inner beauty. Which, by the way, their inner beauty in this, I mean, the ability to cook a really good meal, apparently. Or other things, which I will not mention. So the end of the show, you only see the one minor and one of the women. And they obliquely refer off screen to, oh yeah, the other two women already married the guys. They've left for their quarters during the storm, children. They're married. Okay, I'd like to know what happened with those other two women and those other two minors, because it sounded really quick. Yeah. Like, they took one look at them and they said, yeah, you're not too great looking, but eh, whatever, you know. Was it it Paint Your Wagon, where they have an auction? You know, I don't think I've actually seen Paint Your Wagon. I don't think I ever actually, because it's a musical, so, you know. my God. No, you have to see it because it's a musical. Okay. You have to hear... Do I really want to hear Lee Marvin and Clint Eastwood singing? You do. You do. Especially, I talk to the trees. I talk to the trees, but they don't listen to me. Oh, God. That sounds terrible. Maybe we'll do that one of these nights. You and I will watch Paint Your Wagon. I'll put it on the list. Of course, you can't end a Star Trek episode without Kirk somehow intervening to turn everything around. And what he does is he feeds the girls placebos so that they... And I don't understand exactly how that worked, by the way. They took the placebos and they still turned out to be beautiful. But that can't be. 
There's only one kind of woman. You either believe in yourself or you don't. Yeah, since it's a physical transformation, believing in yourself oh, oh, is not enough. Oh, but wait. So these women would be ugly and homely and would take the pill and then suddenly they would have eyelashes and eyeliner. Apparently the pill gave yes. them makeup and a new hairstyle. It's really amazing stuff. So if these women can just by the force of their will make themselves beautiful, why wouldn't they do that all the time? How many movies have you seen where the kid hits a home run and finds out that the lucky charm did nothing? It was yeah. only his confidence. It was all inside of him all along. So this TV episode was, I don't want to say it's a mess, but it was disjointed and there were big gaps in logic and not they didn't really, quite have the Star Trek formula down yet. Not really a Star Trek story is what I was going to say. Well, yes and no. It had the mandatory Kirk intervention at the end you know, where he solves the problem in a clumsy way. It's definitely not one of the best Star Trek episodes. There's people that are fond of it. I wouldn't put it on the top of my list. But there was so much for you and I to enjoy while we watched. Yes. Making fun of it or pointing out the huge logic flaws and the borderline sexism of a lot of it. But people did like the character because not only did he come back for iMud, but the next generation was just about to film a Mud episode when the actor died. And did you know he did an episode of the animated series? That I didn't know. Yeah. Do you remember the plot? No, but I'm sure it involved some sort of skullduggery. Wheeling and dealing. Yeah. So if you're a fan of Harry Mudd, definitely I would recommend it. If you're a fan of the show and you kind of want to peek behind the scenes a little bit and see, okay, what was Star Trek like before they completely had everything all figured out? To me, as a, a real fan, that's kind of fascinating. That's actually a really good point because you can see it in development in the series. Right. So it'd be interesting to go back and look at some of those early episodes and try to figure, okay, what was the one? It's like Goldfinger. Goldfinger was the James Bond movie where they got all the pieces in place. The formula was set. The formula for James Bond was set in Goldfinger and followed slavishly from that point forward. So what was the Goldfinger episode for Star Trek? What was the episode where all the pieces fell into place to have everything that you expect in a Star Trek episode. I'd love to answer that if I had a chronological list in front of me. You know what? Let's make that a project for a future Low Orbits where we find the episode that was the one that established the formula going forward for Star Trek. Okay. Steve is actually writing this down right now as we speak. The episode that made Star Trek Star Trek. Yep. Any other thoughts on Mud's Women? Well, I would like to talk about something for about two and a half more minutes. Please, go ahead. I have no idea what. <laughs> just... Oh, just... well, I don't have anything else. I think it's easier to understand this episode's creation if you have an appreciation for science fiction, probably short science fiction, in the 1950s. Yeah, I could see that. Because it kind of fits in with this whole post-war organization where we have sectors that are being patrolled and you have licenses and permits. Right, right. I can see that. Well, if you don't have anything else... That's it. Okay. I would like to thank our number one fan, Nancy, for suggesting this episode of Star Trek. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you. And if any of you have any other episodes of science fiction television from the Golden Age, 
please feel free to suggest them by leaving a comment either on our website or on your favorite podcasting platform. We would appreciate it. All right, that's it for this episode of Low Orbits. I'm Patrick Baird. I'm Steve Wrightson. Keep watching the stars. <laughs>